And I thought that's exactly how I felt, like an empty shell. But I still couldn't say that I could get claimed, because like I said, I've tried all these other things. And um, as I said, I lost my two, two daughters through this disease, and, uh, and I'm grateful for that today, because if they hadn't have gone, then they would have been subjected to more abuse. You know, I was unavailable for them. You know, I could claim. I'm good at cleaning. <laughs> I'm still good at cleaning. I can put the tins all in the right order. <laughs> I'm quite good at managing money. But emotions, it's like, I didn't really know that. Because I couldn't handle my own. I couldn't handle my children. And, uh, and that's that was the problem. And like it says, you know, we put drugs ahead of our wives, families, husbands and our children. And that's what I did. So when I came here and I read that, I just started to cry. Because I thought, yeah, that's me, that is. But then the more I started hearing these drums, the more I realised I'm not alone. And I come to understand it's an illness. So I didn't really like that. I didn't want to come to Narcotics Anonymous and get a disease. <laughs> oh, no. Powerless. I've got a disease and I'm powerless over it. I thought I don't like that. But I've come to understand the power for me is in the 12 steps. Um, so um, getting back to this disease idea... Um, and, and it, reading the literature, it's like I went through that first step, <coughs> and I saw how that related to my life and my using. You know, and even before I started using, um, that step one fitted very, very well into into the way that I felt. You know, when I didn't accept my powerlessness, my life became unmanageable um, because I used drugs, or you know, I try and force someone to do something, or I'd be manipulative or controlling, and. Uh, and it really wasn't very happy, and the only solution always was to use. So when I came to understand this powerlessness and see these symptoms, you know, the isolation, degradation and despair, it says in the blue book, and, and that was me. That's exactly how I felt. And uh, I thought, well, maybe there is a solution here. And uh, my, I had a son, and uh, he's 21 now. Good one. And... Uh, he got taken into care when he was like he had his five, fifth birthday in care, and um, it just seemed like Groundhog Day. It felt like I was—it's the same stuff as happening with my son as with my daughters. And uh, and I went to rehab in the middle of the no forest, locked myself away, raked some leaves. You know that was very therapeutic. You know it's like I thought you were going to get me to count them next, mm -hmm. and. Um, that place was absolutely mental. We used to sit there plotting how much we're going to use when we get out. You know, because we'd be all right now. We've had it. We haven't had any for a few weeks. But what was happening was a lot of people had that attitude, and when they come out, they used and they died. And, and it was like all my friends were dying. But I didn't think it would happen to me, <laughs> and it didn't actually. But I did overdose, and. Um, and that wasn't fun. I swallowed my tongue and went blue and all sorts. Um, that is one of the consequences of, of my using. So I went to that rehab and come home because that wasn't really offering me any sort of solution. And I thought, well, I need to go away from everybody, maybe get a tambourine. And I've actually got a tambourine now. <laughs> <laughs> and I play it on my own in the kitchen. <laughs> and um, so... This is my idea of what happens when you get clean. You get boring, you know, you, you get God, you get religious, you start ramming it down people's throats. And I thought, I don't want any of that. 
So <coughs> my son now has been taken into care because he saw someone else use, not me, because I'm good at hiding it. But, you know, that was also part of the emotional abuse. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I thought I was keeping him safe because he couldn't see stuff, but he clearly could. But I was the one who couldn't see it, not him. You know, and, and the denial of the disease of addiction is another symptom. It tells you, you know, ah, that's all right, and it's not. So um, he's now been taken into care, and this woman kept... Uh, she could see something in me that I couldn't see in myself, and she's gone, well, maybe you can go to this other rehab. It's just up the road. And I thought, well, just up the road? <laughs> I don't know about that, because I've got locked myself away. So anyway, they said, you've got the choice. You can have your son back, because you've got rid of all the alcoholics now. <laughs> it's like... So I've gone for this session, they called me an alcoholic, I was furious. I said, how dare you, don't you call me an alcoholic just because you're one. You know, but when I came here and I read, alcohol is a drug, I thought, oh no, please don't tell me that, that can't be right. Alcohol is a drug, it's legal, you know. And I want to drink on Wednesdays and weekends. And uh, I've come to understand now, again, through doing that step one, when I got drunk, you know, I never just had a little drink, ever. I always got drunk. And if I didn't get drunk, like, I might have a little brandy, because I was a little bit stressed out, you know, just to calm my nerves. But it would set something off. It's like my head was then thinking, oh, what do I want now then? Oh, I love some of this, some of that. You know, and then I'm thinking, oh, I'm out of control, I'm drunk, I don't like it. I need some speed, that's what I need. Calm me out, it calm me out a bit. And um, I was always trying to manage myself with one external thing or another. And, uh, and that ended me up in this other rehab centre. And I made that decision. I said, you can have your son back if you want, but give this thing a go. And I thought, hmm, they take me to meetings. And I thought I can leave any time I want because it's only down the road. I know where the dealer is. I know where the pub is. And the difference with this place was Narcotics Anonymous because I was quite sick when I stopped using. I was physically and emotionally sick. And um, they had to take me to casualty. I was so ill. And, um, and then I went to Narcotics Anonymous. You know, after those first few meetings where I didn't think I could get clean, and I thought it's really sad because like those people have been going years. What's the matter with them? Put drugs down. You know, there was this one go. Uh, I said to God, that guy's been going for eleven months and he's not used. And Marcus said, no, eleven years. And I went, eleven years. It's the thought of going to meetings for eleven years was just dire. But I did get clean later that year, and. Um, when I was 11 years clean, that guy was 22 years clean, and we sat in the same room together, and it was awesome. It was amazing. And uh, so I'm, I'm getting all these ideas about what recovery is going to be like, boring, tambourine. You know, there's only like one person who speaks my language. The rest are lying. He's using, she's using. You know, they never use like me. This is all the stuff that I thought when I went to mean. But gradually, as my head cleared, I started to hear these other stuff. Know, about people's children, know, about people feeling empty, low self-esteem and that. I'm so mad. <coughs> Go and look it up. Oh, dear, I've got some of that. And um, 
Then when I saw step two, I thought, oh, yes, restoration to sanity, bring it on, I need that, I was lying, I really was, some people wouldn't even sit next to me, <laughs> so, so angry, really angry, like, don't you know what's happened, people say, how are you, how are you, I'm here, aren't I, I was absolutely furious, you know, take the drugs away and you've got a lunatic that's what happened to me and I've got all these feelings and all this anxiety and all this anger and no alcohol value <laughs> oh my god what have I got I've got a 12 step program a sponsor I've got a home group so um, I couldn't speak though I couldn't speak I speak to people after the meeting and it's like I'd have all this stuff going on and not want to tell anyone and I'd go to a meeting and somebody would share what was going on in my head and I'm thinking, oh, it's some sort of conspiracy. What's going on? How do they know that I'm terrified that I'm going to get a gas bill and use? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's weird. It's like, I call it God instances now. But all these little coincidences kept happening and that sort of showed me that there is a power greater than that. <coughs> so long as I keep coming to meetings, you know, and I've been coming for nearly 17 years now, and uh, I still keep, you know, keep getting little mini miracles. Um, so I've come to understand there's a power greater than me, and that has been a, a long, drawn-out process, and it comes and it goes. <coughs> but all these little coincidences kept happening, and... Uh, it's like me and my mate are walking down the road and like he said, I wonder if God does Rizzlers. Pray, pray for some Rizzlers. <laughs> we found Rizzlers. <laughs> and then I've prayed for the willingness to stop smoking and I've lost the Rizzlers. <laughs> lost the Rizzlers, lost the tobacco, lost the light, oh, light wouldn't work and all this stuff happens. Now I pray for things to happen in a kind and loving way, you know, and I haven't quite got the willingness for this way. I can handle that today, you know, in early recovery. I had to be like hit round the face with a wet fish because I wasn't taking any notice. So then it came time to do my step four. And uh, I got all these step four guides and I'm thinking, let's find the one to avoid all the issues, you know. Let's just do enough to keep me clean. I don't really want to get well. <laughs> so anyway, in the end I just did that, like working step four in Narcotics Anonymous and uh, and it was epic. <laughs> it took me eight months to complete that bloody thing. And I had one question left and I stuck it in the drawer. And um, I was even more naive then. I got all this stuff and it's like it's on the paper. It's out the closet, but it hasn't actually been dispersed. Just stuffed back in the drawer. So it was time to do that, step five. And... Uh, and the freedom I got from that was amazing, you know, to tell another woman exactly who I was, all the stuff about my children, my sex inventory, all the stuff about my childhood, everything about my using, the shoplifting, the lot. It's like, you know, I felt really ashamed, I did. And I'm hiding behind my stepbook, and uh, after we did it, she said, do you want some lunch? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? Where's the bolt of lightning then, or my halo or whatever? But no. She wants some lunch. But the thing is, she said, we'll have to go down the shop and get some. I thought, she's going to be seen out of me after I've just told her all of that. How amazing is that? So to have that unconditional acceptance and love from another woman 
just completely changed my relationships with every other woman, with my mum, my sister, and uh, and I can have friends now, and that has really been built from that sponsorship relationship and um, and being able to work through stuff and uh, step six and seven is an ongoing thing. Um, when I was ready to let go of stuff, other stuff would come, like, let, or do I have to let go of being manipulative? Well, all right, then I'll give it a go, just for five minutes. <laughs> and in that, like, ten, five, ten minutes, I got given an assertiveness course. <coughs> I've been given, when I'm ready to give something out, something else seems to pop up and, and I get another tool to put in my recovery toolbox and I went on a parenting course and stuff and uh, and I really did do anything that was on offer because I was like empty after that step four I was empty and there was room for, for new stuff and um, I uh, wrote up my list of people I'd harmed and of course my children was on it and uh, it took me probably I was about eight years clean when I was ready to write my letter of amends to my children so I wanted them to love me. I was looking for something back from them. And it took me eight years to be able to surrender and just take responsibility. So I posted the letter off and prayed when I posted it. And, um, and then I, when I, I just got on the rest of my amends to my parents. And I've got adult relationships with them now, whereas before I was always a child. And now we've got, we're in adult, adult relationships and so I've made those amends. And my sister, and she's gone, yeah, what about that? What about that? What about that? You know, and it's really important to be ready to make your amends, you know, and to have guidance. Because if I'd been in any other place, I would punch that. <laughs> because I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I had accepted my part, you're right. And I was able to take that from her. And it didn't go quite so well with my um, ex-mother-in-law. I got the door slammed in my face and got told to bugger off. You're the one who took the drugs. You're the one who lost the kids. Don't think you're coming round here to make yourself feel better. This is what my sister-in-law said. Ooh. I was at a convention and I went and I shared it and, and I moved on from that. So I sent this letter off to, uh, to my daughters and it took two years to get a reply. And I'd just come back from a holiday, dream holiday. I wrote a list of things like dreams um, when I was no, and slowly they'd come true. And um, so I've gone on my dream holiday to India, and I've come back, and there's this letter from my work through the Children's Society, Adoption Society, and it was my daughter, and uh, and she wanted to have contact with me. And we wrote to each other, and I felt so much pain, so much loss. She got married, she graduated, you know, all this stuff had happened. She had a new family, this mother and father. And I'd missed all of that and I felt so much pain. And it's like God doesn't give you any more than you can handle, you know, and I was about ten years clean by then and it took me that amount of time to be ready to handle that amount of feelings. And I cried and I shared about it and, and it wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it's going to be amazing when, when you know, because it's like when I was using, I was frightened that they'd come because they'd find the same thing. And in recovery, I thought it would be wonderful, but it wasn't either of those things. It was very, very painful and it's been very slow building up the relationship with her. And then she said to me, I feel like you're, you're um, what's she said? You know, I feel like you're, um, 
being too demanding because I don't feel like you're my mother. I've got a mother. I cannot tell you how much that hurt. I really felt like I'd been stabbed in the heart when she told me that. But I was able to behave with dignity and respect until I put the phone down and then I was just like, because ah! it hurt. But I was able to deal with it, that with her and deal with my emotions through Narcotics Anonymous and I shared it in the meeting and this guy came up and he said to me, do you know what, I was with my dad when he died and for the last two years of his life that's the only relationship I ever had with him and at the end of his life we were friends. If she wants to be your friend now you'll be really lucky and that completely changed the way that I saw what she'd said to me. And we are friends today, and we met up a couple of weeks ago, and we had a really, really good chat, just me and her, without the kids. And she's got two, two children, I've got two grandchildren, and I've met them. And uh, I speak to them on Skype, and, um, and they call me Amanda. And that's, you know, that was very, very difficult, you know, because I want them to call me Mum, Grandma, I've so, uh, but I have to accept what she wants and I have to live with that. I can't make things any different. I cannot make reality any different. And that's what I used to try and do with the drugs. And um, it's still a work in progress, our relationship, but she knows that I'm her friend and she knows that I'm there for her and I'm glad that I can, can be, I can be there for her. And... Um, so many amazing things. All those things that I wrote down, except for going in a balloon box, has happened in early recovery. And that's because I don't really want to go in there. I'm scared. <laughs> I wrote down all these, these things and dreams and stuff. You know, and I've had to work hard. And the last real thing that was on there was to get a degree. And it's like, I really believed I was stupid got all these red marks and I got told you talk shit you do and I couldn't turn up the exams because I was speeding and I was too paranoid I couldn't walk in them no, and I went back to school and I got educated and um, and then I got a job I never had one then before that was scary that was oh my god you know, I've got to come off the book of doom because I've been on that <laughs> it's like cleared the hepatitis I got well I had no more excuses and then it's like I'm saying to God thanks for all that training but I'm just going to sit on my ass and do nothing. It's like, no, I feel guilty. And I got, a couple of days later, I got a call after having the word of God to have this, you've got a job, do you want to come? So I did, and I did really well. And, um, and I started to work, and, um, and I love it, I loved working. And then, um, I've had about a year out now of working, just over a year, and I was chatting to God again, thinking, I'm ready now, I'm a little bit scared. And uh, I was at the convention and I was telling somebody this and they've gone, oh, I know somebody who's got just a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> I start on Monday. <laughs> but I'm willing and I will turn up. And, um, and to come from where I came from and to be able to hold a job down is basically for doing service, turning up, being secretary, making the tea, you know, um, doing GSR. Learn me all my skills to be able to go back to college, and as I was saying, this degree. It's like my, my, I've been thinking about my step eleven a lot recently. It's like I'm having trouble with my son, and I'm having to hand it over, hand it over. What's your will for me, God, in this situation? Because um, he's taking drugs, he's coming out out of it. He came home and picked this knife up the other day, and he's going to stab someone. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I just prayed. 
and uh, someone texts me while I'm praying. It's like, God help me, and I get this text, and I was able to have a conversation, and and in that time, he did come back and, and bring it back, and um, and in my step eleven was about doing a degree, and I'll go for an interview on Sunday for this degree course, and it's like, you know, I've got the money for it, I can drive to it. It's like the only thing that's going to stop me is me and, and the disease of addiction. And uh, and I've got a solution to that. You know, I've got my step 10 now. I could look at my part because it's always everybody else's fault when I was using. Now it's like, yeah, they've got a part to play in it. But at the end of the day, how I look at it and what is the solution is, um, is the way for me. Because I've sabotaged myself many, many times in recovery. You know, I'm no perfect recovering addict. It's taken me an awful lot of um, praying and mistakes to to get um, where I have. But I do try to be in the solution. And I try to keep around people who are in the solution because my disease loves your disease. <laughs> yeah, let's leave the meeting. Go and have a fag and talk about using, <laughs> you know. It's like, no, stay, stay in the meeting and, uh, and, uh, see what people have got to say, you know, because while I'm out there having a, you know, fag or not that I don't smoke anymore, but I used to, and, uh, I might miss something that, that will save my life. And, uh, so many things that I've heard here have made such a difference to me. It's like the God word, I didn't really like that at all. However, you know, there's as many gods as there is. You know, drugs were my god. You know, men were my god. And uh, if I can't put my faith in this program, you know, like being honest, spiritual principles, it's like, what do I do? Be honest, be open-minded, be willing to try something different. That was enough for a higher power for me. And turning up, that was the most important Turn up. Try and get here early. I'm still working on that one. Do your best, and that's all. And today my best is good enough, and that's come from turning up and hearing what everybody else has got to say, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you.